lost half the audience. What he forgot was is that he was preaching revival and they had rented a Methodist uh, auditorium and that was the baptistry. And so, <laughs> but thankfully that's not the case here. So, how many of you were there? <laughs> how many of you were there Friday night? How many of you were there Friday night? Everybody there Friday night? Who was not there Friday night? Was anybody not there Friday night? Oh, I only needed one hand because I got some jokes I want to tell from Friday night. All right, no, I'm just kidding. Well, there was, the pastor has, we, we have chuckled. The, I think, uh, the, I, and I, I obviously didn't come up with any of these, so that's why they're funny. But the one that I think I, I enjoyed the most was the one that says, marriage is an attempt to solve problems together that you didn't have when you were on your own. And the funny thing about it, there were, two, there were two couples that were sitting right in front of me, and, he, and they turned and said, you know, that is true. <laughs> and then he's like, that is true. <laughs> and I thought, because it is true. Um, but uh, I am glad to be back here with family, both, both my family here and then the church family. Always good to be back in town. And uh, I'm telling you, Pastor and I, we're getting very close because, as he told me, he is becoming a counselor for me. Because we were sitting at the dinner table, he said, as a person who is married to someone who is related to my wife, you need to know this story. And, uh, and so we have enjoyed our kinship, and uh, he's given me a lot of good inside pointers and tips, and so we won't, we won't air out the family laundry right here, but we're having a good time. Um, I want to preach a message tonight, and uh, this is probably going to be a little bit to the choir, and uh, Pastor and I had not talked about this before, and uh, I had preached this message recently. But we had got to talking about a subject and a, something that, um, and, I, and I want to be careful and, and I want to be, you know, know my place in this. I'm, I know that I'm not a senior pastor. I know that I'm not a senior in the ministry, but I am a child of God. I'm a Christian. There's something I feel very strongly about. And, this, and it's about our Bible. It's about the Word of God. And I want to talk to us tonight about, and I'm just going to go ahead, I'm just going to jump right into it. A soldier carries a sword. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. I don't want to encourage us. If we're here tonight, we have a, if we have a Bible, you turn there, you lift that Bible up. Let me see those Bibles. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Get your Bibles, turn to Psalm, 1 Samuel chapter 13. You get there, and we're going to read together a couple verses here. I'm going to take a story, and I'm going to take, and I'm going to make some applications and the Bible is the best commentator on itself. And every word of God is in there for a reason. And then we can make applications and principles from every chapter and every verse in the word of God. There's no verse that does not help another verse. It all works together. That's why the Bible's perfect. It doesn't contradict itself. And we can make applications. And I'm going to use a, a story in the Bible and make applications to our lives. I'm going to use it as a springboard with this idea. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse number 19 says this. Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them... What, is the word, what does the Bible say? Sure. Now I want us to... No, real quick, and, I, and I'm, for time's sake, there are certain things that I'm going to not go back and, and distract because I want to be timely with this message. But in just a few chapters, in fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, God had used Samuel, the penman of this book of the Bible here, to actually see a great victory and actually to see the Philistines driven away from the lands of Israel. And the lands of Israel actually had a time of prosperity. In fact, they now have a king, which God did not want them to have, but they had a king. And they did have an army. But it's very interesting to note that in verse 13, now the Philistines are coming up against them. And what, is the, what do we find? It says that they had, to, uh, that, the, that lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. Verse 20 says, but all the Israelites went down to the where? Philistines 
to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattock. Yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the coulters and for the forks, for the axes and to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither what? Sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and with Jonathan, his son was there found. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of Michmash. First Samuel, Second Samuel, excuse me, 23, verses 9 and 10 um, say this. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahoahite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. What a picture of a soldier carrying his weapon into battle, holding it, gripping it so tightly that his hand became fastened. He couldn't be removed from his sword. Turn to Ephesians chapter number 6, if you will. Ephesians chapter number 6. We'll read this passage and then I will jump right into the points of the message. Ephesians chapter 6. Tell us this, verses 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of who? The devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take in the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and the helmet of salvation, and the what? Sword of the Spirit, which is the what? Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. There's an attack today, and this has not been an attack that is recent. This is an attack that has always been. There is an attack today on the Word of God. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt that as the English-speaking people we have before us, if you're carrying a King James Bible, you have the Word of God. But there's some cultures out there. There's some axes out there. There's some Maddoxes out there. And your enemy doesn't want a sword in your hand. You know what he wants in your hand? He wants a garden tool. You know what these were? These were garden tools. This is, this is what they were using to plow in the dirt. You know what they were missing? A sword. But they were convinced and they were, they were even in agreement with the Philistines upon not having their weapons. They'd gotten comfortable. What a tragedy, what a despair must have come over the fathers and husbands, patriots, and men as they faced their enemy. The enemy's coming, and what do they have in their hands? Garden tools where they should have had a sword. Instead of going to the blacksmith shop and feeling the heat of the furnace, and as, as it hardens the blade and hearing the spinning of the grindstone, can you imagine that as the soldiers are coming down to prepare the smithy down there? He's heating up the furnace. Somebody's, he's got a boy in there shoveling coal inside the pit. There's molten steel being forged. Men are sharpening their blades to a hair-splitting edge so that they can defend their home and their family. 
But instead they find themselves with garden tools in between their knees, scraping out a burr or a, or a crude edge that will hopefully inflict damage on their enemy. That's all they had to defend their family. Everything that they had, they, they, had a, they, had a, they just had a, a garden tool. I'd like to remind us tonight that there is a spiritual battle waging around us in great numbers and in great strength, mind you. The enemy is well-trained and well-equipped. They are determined in their cause and are willing to do whatever it takes to gain total victory. And we as believers need not to be worried or afraid of their threats, for we have a higher power. We serve under one whose record in battle is unblemished, unmatched, and let, 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 us, let me remind you folks, he is undefeated. One who has equally equipped his soldiers to be successful in our cause for Christ. Now whether or not you want to fight, the enemy is approaching. You know, you might, you might be someone to say, oh, I, I don't want to engage in battle. I don't like to make people feel uncomfortable. Let me tell you something. Somebody's going to make you uncomfortable when the enemy's on your front door and you're unprepared and you've got a garden tool in your hand. You want to be, you talk about uncomfortable. How about facing an enemy with a plow, with, a, with something that a plowboy would have when he's digging taters instead of having a weapon? Mr. Pryor, could you imagine going in, into battle into the heat of the conflict with staffs? Is your enemy prepared with a staff? No, he's prepared with anything to, to destroy you. You need a weapon, you need something to be on the offense. In the Christian, in the, in the, as a Christian soldier, our arsenal has only one offensive weapon. There is only one offensive weapon as a soldier of God in our arsenal. We only have one. You know what it is? It's a sword. It's not a Maddox. It's not an axe. It's not, it's not something to plow with. It's a sword. It's a weapon. But what a weapon. What a weapon. One weapon in which to strike back at our enemy and force him to retreat. It has been said that the best defense is a good offense. Well, as believers, God has given us the most powerful defensive weapon ever wielded. Now let me caution us. Our enemy knows this. Our enemy knows what we have in our hands. Our enemy knows how powerful the word of God is. Our enemy knows how dangerous it is. And just like these Philistines, they came together and said, listen, whatever we need to do, let's work it out to such a way that there's going to be no blacksmith found in the nation of Israel. I mean, anywhere. I mean, the Bible says, look at it. In, in 1 Samuel 13, it says that in, ver, in verse number um, uh, 19, and there was no smith found throughout how far? All the land. Not just some of the land, all the land. There wasn't anybody in any corner in the nation of Israel that had a blacksmith shop that said, you know what, there might come a time of war with our neighbors, the Philistines. Are the Philistines known as, as Bible-believing Christians? Weren't they always at conflict with the nation of Israel? So how in the world was there no smith? There wasn't one person that said, you know what, it might be a good idea if we have at least one guy making swords, just in case. Instead, they said, we don't need them. Look, our Philistines, we defeated them. In fact, they're, they're so, we, we've whooped them so bad, I don't think we need it. And you know what? They've even said, you know what? We'll go ahead and we'll just, don't even worry about it. We'll, we'll sharpen your garden tools for you. They got comfortable. They said, fine. Yeah, no, there, there's no need to be prepared. 
We've already defeated them. The Philistines said, yeah, they got us now. But what we're going to do is we're going to so, get them so convinced that they don't need their sword, that, that when it comes time for battle, all they're going to have is garden tools in their hands. There was no smith. There was nobody, there was nobody gripping a sword. You know, they all, there was only two people that had swords, the king and Jonathan. Jonathan was the prince. Those were probably ceremonial, to be honest. There was only two. Only two. Not even the king's guard had a sword. I mean, the Bible says, how many swords? Two. So when it came time for battle, what'd they have? Maddox, Coulters, right? Garden tools. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 23, for the, uh, the Bible says, for the word of God, I'm sorry, this is 2 Samuel, the Bible says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, I'm not going to go into the long history of this King James Bible right here. But as the English-speaking people, and I know that your pastor has well described his position on this, and I'm just one that's fired up about this. There's been recently a large attack on our King James Bible. Let me tell you something. God is going to preserve his word. And we see how he does it. He uses men. But you know what? I think that's the, I think that's the beauty of it all. That God can use men to do things that we could not possibly do on our own. That's the evidence of God. That lets us, that's what a miracle is. You know what a miracle is? A miracle is when God does something that we've messed up. Or is doing something that we couldn't do, right? When, when you got somebody's blind, what did Jesus do? He did a miracle. Could the doctor do that? No, but Jesus did a miracle. He did something that men couldn't do themselves. Could Moses, could Moses get, get those waters divided if he built up bulwarks, if he built up dams? Could he divide the Red Sea? No, but God did. Could man put together a perfect book by himself? No, but God did. And he used man to do it. And I'm, I'm here to tell you folks, that there's a miracle right here. We, we thank God for the miracle of, of America. We said we woke up in a miracle today. What a miracle it was. And we, and we look and we see the hand of God. Let me tell you something. I encourage you, and I'm not going to take time to do a Bible study on just our 1611, but this is a miracle, folks. People have laid down their life for this book. And as English-speaking people, we have a word-for-word copy, but our enemy wants us to get rid of our sword. He wants to get us a Maddox. He wants to get us a coulter. He wants us to have a wood chopping axe. He doesn't want us to have a weapon. You say, what are you talking about? Let me just be clear. He wants us to have these other perversions. Man, that's a strong statement. I kind of feel strong about it. And I tell you what, you say, well, that's a little bit uncomfortable. That's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you to get comfortable with his presence. The enemy wants you to get comfortable with not having a sword in your hand. Let me tell you something. You're going to need your sword. You don't need, wor- you don't need just phrases of God. The Bible says man cannot live by bread alone, but by how many words? Every word. Hmm. Every word. Every word. Not ideas. Not thoughts. Every word. And as the English-speaking people, we have a miracle in our 1611. And I thank God for it. And I tell you what, there are some things that, were, that are worth fighting for, and there are things that are worth dying for. Now, I'll fight for the state of Kentucky. I love Kentucky. I love the Kentucky Wildcats. If you want to come up and tell me that Tennessee's a better basketball team, 
game on. We'll have it out. I'll die for this book. But I'll die for this book because this is the Bible. I wouldn't spend a night in jail for those other perversions. But I'll die for this book. I'll die for this book because this is the word of God. And you need to be convinced that you need to know what do you have in your hand. Do you have a sword? Or do you have, maybe you have an axe. Maybe you got a coulter. But let me tell you something. When the devil comes a-knocking, you need a sword. You don't need a garden tool. You don't need a garden tool. There's some that say, I, well, there, there's individuals that have, that have been saved. through maybe some ministries that had other versions. And I'm not going to argue that, but here's what I can say. Yeah, but you have to have every word of God to grow. You have to have every word of God to grow. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth. The Bible is daily bread. It's daily bread. It's every word. It's every word. We have to have every word to grow. We have to have every word to be what we're supposed to be for God as Christians. We have to have our sword. If we're going to fight, we have to have our sword. Let me just go ahead. Number one, don't let anyone tell you that you don't need a sword. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the what? Word of God. Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattock. I heard an individual say the other day, He said, you know, I think we get it out of context. I think we make too much of the Bible. He said, I think we we forget it's the we we worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We don't worship the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Scriptures. You know why he said that? Because he's never read the Bible. Go to John chapter 1. Go to John chapter 1. This is going to blow your mind. You know why he didn't, you know why he said that? Because he was reading from a Maddox. You know why he said that? Because he was reading from a Coulter. You know why he said that? Because he wasn't reading from the Bible. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? God. It was God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Bible says that the Word became Flesh, verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You know what? Je- you know who Jesus was? He was the word. He was a walking, talking, breathing Bible. That's who he was. That's what the Bible says. He was the Bible says he has magnified his word above his. Does anybody know what else? How precious is the name of God to you? When you hear God, when you hear Jesus, when you hear the Holy Spirit, what do those do for your heart and mind? I think all of us here are spiritual. And we may all, all of us may be at different levels of that. There are some times where I will knock on a door out souling. Somebody will tell me that they're Catholic. And a lot of times, most Catholics, I would probably say a large majority, believe in works. Are there some that may have a faith-based salvation? I don't know. I believe maybe, you know, the Bible says that we have to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. We have to go what the Bible says about salvation. We can't believe in works, not of works as any man should boast. But they, they believe in their works. They believe in their Eucharist. And I said, well, at least, I said, oh, I'm glad you're interested in spiritual things. Because at least they believe there is a God. An atheist doesn't believe there's a God at all. But at least they believe there's a God. And let me tell you something. If you're here tonight, you believe there's a God. And you believe that if he is God, 
then he's what? Is he perfect or is he a sinner? Was Jesus perfect or was he a sinner? If he wasn't perfect, could he be our Savior? And if he wasn't perfect, could he be God? So we have to have a perfect Bible or we don't have a perfect God. We have to have a perfect Bible or we don't have a perfect God. And if you don't have a perfect Bible, you don't have a perfect God. You don't have them. Bible says this, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. You know whose responsibility it is to keep the Bible alive? You know, it's not, it's not translators, though God uses them, and it's not penmen, though God uses them. You know whose ultimate job it is to keep the Bible alive? It's God's responsibility. This isn't our word. This is God's word. Heaven and earth shall pass away. The Bible says this, the Bible says this, that the word of God was in heaven at all times. It was, in the, it was in heaven at all times. You know, there's a big deal going around, the originals, the originals. The originals are in heaven. We've never had the originals. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled where? That's where the originals are. When we get to heaven, we'll get to read the actual original. But we have the words of the original. We have, we have the words of the, we have the Bible. We have what, what God has in heaven, we have in our hands. But this idea that you can't have it in the English language. Listen, if that was the case, then we shouldn't have it in any language. God uses men because God came to save men. He came to seek and to save that which were who? Lost. And he tells us that we have to have it to grow. Well, do you think God wants us to have an imperfect Bible to grow? Was he an imperfect God? Then why would we have an imperfect Bible? And when God does something, it's divine. His hand is in it. Was his hand in the, in the penman that he used? Was his hand upon Moses? Was his hand upon David? Was his hand upon Solomon? Was his hand upon Samuel? Were these men that had flaws? Sure they did. But did God use them? Sure he did. King James has flaws. It's, this, isn't, this isn't King James's Bible. This is God's Bible. <laughs> King James was just, he was just a vehicle. Okay? Let's just get that straight. King James is the vehicle. This is God's Bible. This is his word. But he do, does he use men? Yes, he does. Has God used your pastor in your life? God uses men. Is God going to use you in somebody's life? Hopefully he has. God uses men. Are you perfect? No. Is his word perfect? Yes, it is. If we can't have a perfect Bible, then we don't have a perfect God. Because it is his word. It's not ours. And when he put this Bible together, and like I said, I don't have a lot of time to go into the history of this. And I know your pastor has covered this in many, many, uh, in farther in depth than I will have time to today. And if you have any questions about it, I know for a fact you can ask your pastor. But let me just say this. This is a miracle. This 1611 is a miracle. And it is the word of God. And it's worth dying for. But the devil, he's clever. He's got wiles. What does the Bible say in Ephesians? What did we read? He said the what? The wiles of the devil. I'm going through the Armor of God series with our juniors in our, in our junior department. And I asked to say, what are wiles? What does the Bible say are wiles? Well, temptations, tricks, right? Tricks, temptations, deception. When we say those are wiles, things to get us astray. So we have to veer off from them. We have to be careful of the wiles of the devil, the ways of the devil. When Jesus was being tempted, what did he use to fight the enemy? He used the Bible. He used the Word of God. You know what you're going to have to use when you fight your enemy? 
You've got to have that same Bible. So don't let your enemy say, you don't need your sword. Don't let your enemy say, listen, it's more about worshiping God than worshiping the Bible. Jesus himself didn't feel that way. He said, I magnify my word above my name. He was the word. As much as we love the Lord, we ought to love his word. You want to spend time with Jesus? I told our juniors this. I said, how many of you would love to, to have a day with Jesus? And they all oh, they raised their hand. I said, how many of you had a day with Jesus? You could if you open up your Bible. If you open up your Bible, you're sitting with Jesus. You open up your 1611, you're sitting with Jesus. It's his word. Don't let anyone tell you you don't need a sword. See, the Philistines say, you don't need a sword. Quit making a big deal about it. So what? There are other versions. So what? Listen, it's okay. You don't have to have every... Listen, as long as they get the idea, that's what matters. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we have to have every word. And the devil wants us to have a Maddox. The devil wants us to have an axe. Because when he comes a running, he wants us to be found with a, with a simple garden tool in between our knees saying, Man, I wish I had my sword. You have these other versions. Let me tell you something about them. And maybe I should have had some examples. But they take away things like the deity of Christ. There are some of them that say the Bible says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. There are other versions that say he thought he, he was unable to attain equality with God. Now that's two totally different doctrines there, folks. That's not different faith. That's different doctrines. And doctrines are what, are what comprise our convictions and our beliefs. Isn't salvation a doctrine? Okay, well, the Word of God is a doctrine. You say, I believe in salvation. But how much do you believe in your Bible? How convinced are you you have a sword? Because if you don't believe that the Bible in your hand is perfect, you got a problem. you got a problem. Because we have a perfect God. And if we have a perfect God, we have to have a perfect Bible. Otherwise, he's not perfect. Otherwise, we're left with a Maddox. We're left with a culture. We're left with a spirit. Don't let anyone tell you you don't need a sword. Don't let anyone tell you you don't have to have a sword. Number two, and I hasten, don't let anyone take away your sword. Don't let them take away your sword. They're trying to take away our sword. There's all different kinds of versions that they're coming out, making it more readable. Making it, let, let, let me say this, folks. God is not, the, and, I, and pastor says, he's not the big daddy upstairs. I was talking to an individual, my wife, and I were in a coffee shop. And uh, I was talking to this gentleman. He was a Christian, but he didn't know that I was a Christian. And so we were talking, and, and after, it didn't take long for us to find out. He, didn't, you know, he was asking me a couple questions. I said, I, you know, and, and I you know, share with him that I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. He said, yeah, Jesus is a good dude. I remember I called my dad dude once. And he looked at me and he said, I'm not a dude. I'm your dad. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, dad. I called him dude again. He said, I'm your dad. I'm not a dude. And I've never called him dude since. Because he's my dad. Jesus is not a dude. Jesus is God. This Bible, it's not a joke. It's not something we're supposed to mess around with. It's not something that we're supposed to try to make better. You know what? Here's the thing. When we bring in bus kids and we bring in these kids from, from inside of our communities, yes, we're trying to come down onto their level, but you know, when you're trying to help somebody grow 
And I'm, and I'm making a point. When you're trying to help somebody grow, you're not supposed to necessarily be like them. Does that make sense? I don't, in order to reach certain kids, I don't have to talk their worldly talk. I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to, oh, here we go, I don't have to jive with them. I, I, don't, I, don't, have, I don't have to talk, I don't have to talk the, the hip language to help them. This Bible, it's not meant to be hip, folks. This is God's word. You know what? This Bible here is exposing our flaws as, as individuals. If there's a way of talking that we have that, that maybe isn't the way, of the, the way the Bible has prescribed it, right? It says the Bible has a definite way that we're supposed to talk, doesn't it? Right? Doesn't it? We don't have to dumb this Bible down to help people. This Bible is going to help people. The Word of God is going to help people. And you know why some people don't understand? It's because some people aren't saved. If you're not saved, you're not going to understand the Bible. Because the Holy Spirit's our ultimate teacher. I'm thankful for my pastor. But you know who's my best teacher? The Holy Spirit. And the only way I'm going to have the Holy Spirit is being saved. How hard is it to understand for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? What does that mean? For whosoever. What, who's a whosoever? If you're a whosoever, raise your hand. Okay? Well, we understand so far. Shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? So if I call upon God, then I'm going to be saved. Okay? Okay. Saved. What does saved mean? Does it mean rescued? Right? Rescued? Okay, well, what am, I supposed to, what am I supposed to be saved from? Well, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Who, get, who in here works a job? You work a job. Who knows what a wage is? Anybody know what a wage is? Okay, so, all right, so we know what a wage is. All right, this is really confusing. All right, so the wages of sin is death. Who knows what death is? Anybody know what death is? Okay, well, I still don't understand how it's confusing. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Lord, who knows what a gift is? Anybody know what a gift is? Okay, who knows what a gift is? My wife knows what a gift is. Uh, well, we know what a gift is. But you see, the enemy's trying to tell us, oh, we got to make it more relatable. Oh, we, we got to make it more attainable. We got to have a Maddox. We got to have a Coulter. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. We got to have a Coulter. Listen, we got to make it more readable. We got to make it more attainable. We got to make it more understandable. <laughs> no, we don't. We just have to do what God says. We just have to listen to what He says. You know what? Shakespeare has never been put into a hip language. You ever notice that? that? You know, people have more respect, more respect for secular art than they do <laughs> for holy words. Somebody says, oh, I think we should make Shakespeare, uh, you know, a hip-hop play. They're not going to allow that. They have never allowed that. I'm serious. They have never allowed that. That is like a no-no in, in, in culture, literary art. That is a no-no. Shakespeare, oh, Oh man, it's you know it's, it's it, it it is uh, you know helping you to be more cultured and you know oh the the way it just you know uplifts you and makes you more intelligent. But when now we have to we have to there's a there's a Bible called the Eubonics Bible instead of our Father which art in heaven it says Yo Big Daddy upstairs. Now how is that helping anybody? How is that helping anybody? You think Jesus was talking that way? You think Jesus had his hat on backwards? You think Jesus was was walking around with Air Jordan slippers? I don't think so. He wasn't trying. You know, it's, it's interesting that Jesus reached man without having to be just like man. What I mean by this, he didn't have to be a sinner to reach a sinner. You ever notice that? We can be in this world. We don't have to be of this world. In fact, this world, it's not my home. I'm just a passing through. But my enemy, he wants to keep me from getting there the way I should. He wants to confuse me. He wants to distract me. And he wants me to have a coulter in my hand. Do you have a perfect Bible in your hand as an English-speaking person? I know I do. Do you know you do? Or do you have a coulter? Do you have a Maddox? Do you have an axe? I shouldn't be able to... Can I have somebody's Bible? Can I have your Bible? 
<laughs> yeah, oh, he's on. You know what, just doing that, I hope I didn't take it out of his life. Does that make sense? Psalms 119.11 says this, Thy, can you say it with me? Word have I hid in my heart. Might not sin against thee. Did I just take it out of his life? I sure hope not. If I came to you and took your Bible, did I just take it out of your life? Completely? Where's your Bible? I hope it's in your hand. But it needs to be in your heart. Now here's where I want to make the application. Here's how I'm going to end. I feel strongly about my Bible. It's my Bible. It's the Bible. It's the Word of God. The English-speaking people, the 1611, is the Bible. It's the Word of God. So if we can agree on that, let me say this. You believe you have a perfect Bible? Okay, you have a perfect Bible. You believe you serve a perfect God? You have a, serve a perfect God. What are we doing with it? Don't forget, here's my last point, don't forget to practice with your sword. The Bible says in Proverbs eleven twenty six, He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. And you say, now what does that have to do with anything? The Bible is making a principle here. He says, if you have something that can help somebody and you keep it to yourself, people are going to get awful upset with you. And I sure hope that there aren't friends and family and co-workers that are going to be in heaven, excuse me, that are going to be with us when we're at the judgment seat of Christ that's saying, you had the Bible? You mean you had the word of God? You mean you know how to, you know how to be saved? You mean to tell me that this whole time, this whole time, you knew how to tell me that I can know my Savior and you didn't tell me about it? Are you, are you serious? How important is the Bible in your life? Okay, you have a sword. Don't let it go. Be like, be like that son of Dodo. Clave to the sword. Grip to the sword. Nobody's getting that out of your hands. Grip to the sword. But you know why it was gripped to his hand? Because he was using it. You either use it or you lose it. There's a lot of skill sets that we've probably developed in our lives. Even maybe, I mean, I'm only 26, so I can't really say this as like an older man. But I know that there are certain things that I have not, even from high school, some musical instruments I used to play that I don't play anymore. You know why? I stopped playing them. I lost it. If you don't use your sword, you're going to lose your sword. Because he's going to try to get it from your hands. He's going to try to get it out of your hands. You know how he's going to try to get it out of your hands? He's going to try to get it out of your life. He's going to try to keep you from the word of God. He's going to use relationships. And here's the thing. Relationships a lot of times is how people determine truth. And we're not supposed to determine truth by relationships. Oh, I know a homosexual and they're a really nice person. And I just think that we take too strong of a stand against homosexuality. Well, let me just put it this way. The Bible says in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth, and he says that he created man and he created woman. He created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And I don't care how you want to argue it until you're blue in the face. It doesn't matter what your position is. It takes a man and it takes a woman to have a child, just like it takes a male. If, you believe, if, if somebody, I love what a pastor said one, this time, he said these homosexuals would make really bad farmers. They make really bad farmers. That's just not how life works. That's just how life works. We got to be careful because just like the Philistines, they want to get us comfortable. 
They want us to get us comfortable. They want us to realize, listen, 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 look, we can be brethren. Listen, we can be brethren. Listen, we'll sharpen your axes. We'll sharp. Don't put down, put down the sword. Don't worry. We're brethren. Listen, just bring us your garden tools. We'll keep, look, we're going to help you feed your family. We're going to help keep you alive until they're on the attack. And now they're like, now we got them. Because they got the Bible, they got the swords out of their lives. How's the devil, you know how the devil's going to get the sword out of your life? You're going to stop reading it. You're going to stop using it. The Bible says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know what he's talking about? Winning souls. The Bible says, Proverbs 11, 30. The seed of the righteous is a tree of life and he that wins souls is wise. If you're not fishing, you're not following. When he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. When we follow in the footsteps of Christ, you know where we find ourselves? On the doorstep of a lost person. When we follow Christ, you know where we find ourselves? We find ourselves in someone else's life who doesn't know Christ. But you know what? When we're not following Christ, when we're doing our own thing, you know where we find ourselves? By ourselves. And you know what that sword is doing? No good. The only reason you say, man, what a, what a soldier. What a, what a man that son of Dodo was. He had the sword in his hand. Yeah, but he was in the battle. He wasn't on the sidelines. You know why the sword was stuck to his hand? He couldn't let it go. I mean, it took, a, it took men to probably pry that thumb back. Get that finger. He said, guys, I've just I've been fighting the enemy all day. I just, I've been fighting all day to sun up, to sundown. I've been destroying the enemy. I'm fighting the enemy. He wasn't sitting there. He's like, yeah, man, I, I was sharpening my sword today. I was sitting there cutting vegetables, and I just couldn't. I just had a seize in my hand. I couldn't let it go. No, you know what he was doing? He was fighting. He was in the battle. The only way Satan won't get that Bible out of your hands is while you're using it. You stop using it, now you're a target. I told, the, I told our, our, our youngins, and I'm going to close, but I told our youngins, and I said, if you don't put your armor on, I don't want to fight. <laughs> you're not a soldier, you're a target. Am I right? You don't have your armor, you don't have your weapon, you know what you are? You're a target. You're a target. There's a, a term that the military and the police will use. They call them soft targets. Am I right? Soft targets. That's who the wicked people, the people that are trying to do the guerrilla warfare, that's who they look for. Soft targets. That's children. That's the elderly. And that's the unarmed. Soft targets. You want to make yourself a target to the devil? Don't put your armor on. The only way you're going to be able to fight him, you've got to have that sword. But you've got to be using it. You gotta be using it. Let me tell you something. There is nobody who is right with God and in the will of God that is not active in the service of God. If you're not being used to see people's lives changed, you're not using your sword. You know what you're doing? You're like that farmer who has all that corn in his shed. It says, He that hath corn and withholdeth it, the people shall curse him. You have all this truth in your lap. You say, I'm convinced. I'm convinced this is the word of God. I'm convinced this is the Bible. Then use it. A sword is not a, it's not a display. It's a weapon. And I think the reason why the devil is getting this Bible out of our hands, I think the reason why this 1611 is coming under attack is because we don't have enough Christians using it. We have some that just aren't convinced it's the word of God. And really what they're convinced is they're convinced that they don't have a perfect God. Because if I have a perfect God, I can have a perfect Bible, folks. 
And if I have a perfect Bible, I have a perfect weapon. But here's what happens. The devil gets it out of your life. He gets you discouraged. He gets you sidetracked. He gets you to stop reading it. And more importantly, he gets you to stop using it. Are you, are you, are you investing in other people's lives? I love Jesus. I love the Lord. And, I'm, and I, I need to follow him. When those disciples were following Jesus, they weren't going from one potluck to another, folks. Jesus went his way. Listen, he went his way. He went all the way out of his way for how many people? One person. One person. I heard one preacher say this. You may not catch all the fish in the pond, but you can catch one. You can catch one. Have you ever led a soul to Christ? Is there one in your bucket? If not, you're not using your sword. Are you actively contributing to the work of the local church? If you're not, you're not using your sword. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You know why my church is important? Not because of my pastor. It's not because of my kids that I teach. My church is important to me because it was important to God. You know why my Bible is important to me? Because it was important to God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? It was God. You know what's going to change the hearts and lives of men? You know what's going to get this country back on its feet? It's the Word of God. It's not the phrases of God. It's not the, just the ideas of God. No, folks. It's going to be the Word of God. When the boy king, I got his name wrong. What was his name? Josiah, when the boy king came to the came and he found that there were there were scriptures that were hidden. You know what he did? He didn't say he said, you know what, bring it down to the common man's language. Dumb that Bible down. He said, no, just get somebody to get up there and read it. Just get somebody to get up there and read it. They just read the word of God and lives were changed. They read the word of God and they said, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, look where we're at. And you know why our lives are in shambles? We want to know why that there is immorality rampant through the street. You know why? Because there are Christians that aren't using their sword. They have a sword, but they're not using it. I want to defend this country. I want to see this country. I would do anything. I would do anything to protect this country. The best thing you can do for this country is read your Bible and use it. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and what? Those that seek me early shall what? Find me. And where are we going to find them, folks? When somebody led you to Christ, did they use an idea? When somebody led you to Christ, did they use an illustration? Or did they use the word? You want to see somebody's lives change? You're going to have to use the word. And I close with this. Listen, you've got to have a sword. Don't let anybody take it. Don't let anybody tell you you can't have one. but don't stop practicing. Get your sword out. Ask yourself this. We have to be honest with ourselves. I was talking to somebody today and said, I've been away from God. I've been a little away from God, but I'm back. I said, well, the good thing about God is his invitation never runs out.
never expires. Neither does the church. Church's invitation never expires. He said, but we've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to be honest with ourselves. And we have to be honest with God. And if we can't do that, then we can't grow. There's a fellow I led to the Lord just a couple weeks ago. His name is Dawson. I was just out playing basketball. I said, Dawson, he said, the Bible says he's a savior. But a savior is somebody who rescues somebody who's in trouble. The problem is we have a bunch of good people in this world. God didn't come to save good people. He came to save sinners. And you know who's sinners? There's one right here. And there's one in all these, all, everybody that's taking up a seat, there's one right there too. And the only thing that's going to change our lives, folks, is the word of God. God doesn't have a bunch of versions. He's got one word, and it's the word of God. I'm not interested in all the versions. I'm not interested in the commentaries. I'm not interested in the thoughts. I'm interested in the word. I want to know where's the word. I have the word, but I don't just want to have it, folks. I want to use it. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Not a dynamic thought, I promise. It's maybe not something that's going to shatter your life. But let me ask you, are you convinced that you have the Word of God? Are you convinced about your King James Bible? Well, I think there's some other versions out there that are just as good. There's only one Word of God. And it's not supposed to be changed or altered or, or, or put our spin. We have to have the Word of God. If we don't have a perfect Bible, we don't have a perfect God. So do you have your Bible? Are you holding on to it? But more importantly, are you using it? And as the piano begins to play, do you want to come use this altar and say, God, I, I got my sword, but I need to use it.